0: I invited Stephen, I was listening online and sort of just really appreciate what God is doing here. Um, In Wolverhampton, where I live, which is sort of the Midlands area, um, we too carry a tremendous burden um, for revival, for a true authentic moving of God again in our day. And just to tune in and to listen to um, the the likes of Brother Bertie, Stephen, you know, I was tremendously blessed and came over about three months ago um, just to visit and um, to met with Bertie and pat and stephen and charlotte but have been tremendously blessed and then last night in the young people's meeting it's lovely to see so many faces and um, here again in the meeting this morning and so the lord richly bless you For 12 of my Christian years, uh, we spent in house groups. Things are very dry in England. We don't have the rich heritage that you have over here of godly men that can pass down the baton. And so I was saved in the year 2000. And really, for 23 years, as I've served God, I've done so without spiritual fathers, me and my wife, by the grace of God, have really just had a machete in our hands, so to speak, and we've just had to hoo a path out and plough a, uh, a furrow so that we're able just to, to go forward with the work there. And so for 12 of our sort of Christian years, we spent in home fellowships, And then in 2014, the Lord called us to take a step of faith. I was ordained into the ministry in 2013. And we began meeting in a small church on the private grounds of a school and we've met there for seven years. But in 2018, a brother had come over from the United States to minister at a conference. And as he was preaching, the word brought so vividly to my heart, it seemed to leap from the pages. And Matthew 21 in verse 13, my house shall be called the house of prayer. And I believe from that point that God had put a burden in my heart, you know, in my wife's heart, and um, that He was going to give us a place of our own to begin to meet for the purpose of prayer, praying for revival, praying to see a genuine move of God again in, in our country of England, and in particular the Black Country area, um, which is an area where we live. You know, I live in an inner city. It's got many problems, drugs and and alcohol abuse, and so many problems that you'd find in a in an inner city, and what what happened, it was around the year 2019, towards the end. We'd been praying for a year and a half. We'd been having times and mornings of prayer and fasting, laying hold of the promise of God Lord, you said you were going to do it, and Lord, we believe you are. We had no finances, we're probably be about 40 of us, 30 of us, modest incomes, and but we knew that what God had said he would do and i remember one day someone coming to the church he came again the following week he wasn't a saved man but he'd heard of what the lord had been stirring in our hearts and he took us to a derelict building in Willenhall, which is about 15 minutes drive out from wolverhampton and there was this derelict chapel you know pigeons coming in and out of the windows scaffolding inside windows smashed grounds overgrown And we knew there and then that God had said he was going to give us that place, that this is the church building that God had said he's going to give to us for the purpose of prayer. And so we approached the man, we were praying, the offer fell through, lockdown came, and a few of us had witnessed that we were to approach him again, and we did. And the door was open for us to purchase the building. And from there on in, we thought, well, what now, Lord? You know, we haven't the funds, we haven't the resources. Where do we start? The the plaster was coming off the wall, the floorboards were shot. Um, But the Lord said, trust me, and so we did. And the Lord opened the heavens. It's the only way that I can explain it and provided the funds for the work to start, for the work to finish. And then in 2021, we had the joy of moving in. And we're holding on to the promise of God. It's so encouraging to be in like company here because we across the sea have the same burden as yourselves to see an authentic move of God. And we didn't relinquish on our promise to God that, Lord, you gave us that place for prayer. And so five days a week, we have prayer meetings. We we come in. There's not a tremendous amount of us, but we're laboring in prayer. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, that the Lord is going to visit us again in his power. Because he doesn't set his people praying for nothing. And so I would value your prayers tremendously. We pray often for you. Uh, There's not a Sunday that doesn't pass that we're praying for lifeboat for the lord to bless steve and bertie those that will be ministering and so as Stephen said you're not alone amen if you wouldn't mind turning please to philippians chapter 2 this morning philippians chapter 2 and i'm going to read from verses 5 and i'm going to read down to verse 11 philippians chapter 2 And I've titled this morning's sermon, The Man with One Will. The Man with One Will. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 1, or sorry, we'll read from verses 5 down to verse 11. Lord, I'm tremendously privileged to be standing here, Father, to, Lord, to address your people, to bring something of your heart this morning to this precious congregation, many of whom I've not met, some of whom I haven't. I'm just praying, Father, that, Lord, you would be kind to countenance us this morning, Lord, with your face, with your face of grace toward us, We acknowledge holy father that unless you come this morning and attend unto thy word with power and grace that lord we fear the words will be lost this morning that lord they will enter our ears but fail to penetrate our hearts and we lord would leave the same as we came and so i do pray lord for divine unction for the spirit's help this morning to cause the word to be, as it were, fiery arrows to our hearts, Lord, that we might, Lord, respond accordingly. Give us courage this morning that we might not lose heart, Father. It might be that we sense the conviction of God this morning, but let us know whom you love, you chasten, and, Lord, you draw to yourself. And so I do pray these things and commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 It might seem at first sight a strange title for a sermon, The Man with One Will. Don't we all have one will? I mean, if I was to begin to speak to you uh, of a man with two personalities, you'd all say this morning that that man needs seeing to, that he's not right, If I was to speak to you of Paul Williams on the one hand and yet another person say Matthew Jenkins, you'd be making certain phone calls. At the heart of a man lies his personality, his mind, his soul, his will. You're not a pre-programmed machine and neither am I. You're a person replete with emotions and a will. You have choices to make every single waking hour of every single day. And the person making those choices is you. And so it's right and it's proper for us to speak this morning of a one-man soul, or if you like, a man with one will. For 23 long years I walked this earth prior to knowing the Lord as a one-willed Man, what poor Williams wanted, poor Williams got, and boy, it caused me some grief. By the age of 20, as I look back now, I was heading almost certainly for prison or for death, really one of those two options. I was a man who was on a death wish, so to speak, on a pathway leading to destruction. My heart blackened with sin, a child of wrath dead in trespasses and sins walking as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 according to the pattern the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among also we all had not some of us but all of us collectively prior to Christ We had our conduct in time past in the lusts of the flesh, gratifying these carnal desires, feeding the flesh on whatever it appeared that it would be pleasurable to do. We were children of wrath by nature, even as others, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 2 through to 3. And that was God's verdict for us all before we came to know the Lord. But we read on, and those of us familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, these are some of the most precious verses. As I consider who I was and who I am now in Christ, all the glory surely must go to Him, but God's, but God's. We were children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich, wealthy, opulent in mercy, pardoning compassion for his great love wherewith he loved you and me, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he's quickened, he's made alive, he's quickened us together with Christ, for by grace ye are saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's verses four through to six of Ephesians chapter two. And as I said, these verses are some of the most profound verses in all of Scripture. The ruinous plight of man, the uncomprehendable love of God. The quickening power of his grace to save, to rescue, to deliver sinners from the dunghill of their iniquities. And to transport them into heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Friends, but for the grace of God. There's not a single one of us that would not be damned this morning. But for the grace of God. And because of God, we have been gloriously Saved. Now, there are many wonderful doctrines that stand as pillars to the Christian faith. The doctrine of justification, how God takes our sin and blots out the record thereof, takes vile and guilty sinners and accounts them righteous in His sight on the grounds and the merits of what Christ has done for them, not based on their good works, no but based on his kindness toward us, his grace, his mercy. He pardons us on the basis of us deciding, desiring to turn from sin as the Spirit of God convicts us and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust him by faith. And the moment that a man puts his faith, a woman places her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ the record of their sins previously is blotted out and they find peace with God. And then, of course, there's the doctrine of regeneration. And I haven't time to unpack this this morning. But suffice it to say that if you have been born again this morning, if you have been quickened by the life giving power of God, the Holy Ghost, in the new birth, then you're not merely a forgiven sinner. That is that you're not a sinner forgiven. Yes, you're a soul forgiven and previously were a sinner forgiven. But the doctrine of regeneration forbids me to remain in my sins, in my deadness, in my barrenness. Because as Paul said, we've been quickened to newness of life by the Holy Spirit. We're not merely forgiven sinners, but we're saints of God now, quickened by the Spirit of God to walk this world in holiness, in purity. And one of the most glorious verses in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a brand new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, not some things, but all things are become new. I fear that in our present day, we've lost the cutting edge of Christianity. This kind of talk that really the only difference between the child of God and the child of wrath is that we've had our sins forgiven and they've not. Friends, you don't mean to say that we're just mere men like Dead men, but we have been quickened and we've been given life and we can now rise through the grace and the power of God to live a life which previously before coming to Christ we could not live. We were slaves to sin and Christ set us free from the prison. He broke the prison chains and he's granted us now the ability to rise in the arms of faith and to be drawn closer unto him. I fear I say again that in our present day we've lost the cutting edge of Christianity. The kingdom of God no longer stands in juxtaposition to the kingdom of darkness. The contrasting properties of black and white have been fused into a murky grey, light and darkness into a twilight blue. We've lost the radical nature of true conversion. But I want to say without apology, when light meets with darkness, you've all been into a dark room and the first thing you do, you reach for the light switch and when the light comes on, the darkness retreats. Well, John 1:5, the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That's the testimony of the true child that has been, re- been regenerate by God that light has come in, and the darkness, by virtue, had to flee. One of the radical elements of true conversion, when set in contrast to a false conversion, is that as it relates to the human will. The human will. Pre-Christ, I lived for me. Post-Christ, I now live for him. Still one will, but a 180-degree shift in orientation. You see, we have a dilemma in our modern day within Christianity, which goes something like this, that I can live for me and I can live for thee. But I want to say this morning on the authority of God's holy word that that is not so. You can't. You can't. That old hymn by Fanny Crosby sums it up well. You know the one, I am thine, O Lord. The second verse reads as follows. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace. Divine, let my soul look up with a steadfast hope and my will be lost in thine. That's it, friends. It's what I'm speaking to you about this morning. My will being lost in the will of God. My ambitions being lost in his. His will becoming my will such that I might walk this world, not saying my will be done, but thine will be done. And where my will is at odds with his will, then, Lord, bring this stubborn man into conformity. Because how can two walk together unless they be agreed? Can you say this morning, brothers and sisters, as our Lord Jesus Christ did, when he walked this earth, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 4 and verse 34. The longer that I live and I'm only 43 is the more that I'm gripped by the burden and the reality of the breathness of this fading life. I said it in the meeting last night, my twenties just went, my thirties just went. Time just seems to be retreating. And those older folk here amongst us, you will know what I'm talking about. Where have all the years gone? It seemed like only yesterday I was leaving school and the story's ending so soon. For what is your life, James writes. In James chapter 4 and verse 14. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, a little time, and then vanishes, vanishes away. I'm conscious, friends, that I only have one life, as CT stood, pen that hymn. Only one life, it will soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burnt out for thee. I don't want to look back over a wasted life and say, oh, what could have been if only I had given God my fall. If only I had surrendered my will and said, not my will, but God, come in and take charge. Thy will be done. Oh, what could have been? But it's too late. Tell me this morning, dear soul, is the Lord, the supreme head, the unchallenged rival king of your heart, you say, is this some radical Christianity? Friends, this is Christianity. Christianity. It's the only Christianity this book presents. This idea that we can have one foot in and one foot out, that we can give our Lord our left hand and our right leg and we'll keep the other bits. It's not biblical. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your soul, doth the spirit, control? That's the question of the hour. That's the question. I look around and I see a generation that's so preoccupied with self. Yes, the religious boxes will be ticked, but lives that are unfulfilled. What could have been? I think of my Lord at the tender age of 12, and to the young people here gathered, the Lord would desire to use you but he can't use you to the fullest extent until we settle this matter early on that for me to live is Christ and once we settle that matter then God will undertake and will lead us into his work our Lord at the tender age of 12 when there he was found in the temple missing it took his his mother Mary and Joseph three days to come back to try to find him And they said, son, why have you dealt with us thus? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, how is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I must have been about my father's business? Oh, that's a cry. Can you say this morning that I am busy about my father's business? That his business is my business and my business is is his from the moment that i got saved i understood how christianity worked for a whole long year i would not come to christ because i knew what it meant to come i wasn't brought up in in a christian family but i could not deny that the lord was drawing me to himself and i knew the cost And I understood exactly what he wanted. And for that reason, for one whole year, this stubborn man refused to yield, refused to bend the knee. But God has ways and means of making us comply. He's so good. And he turned my life upside down and the bottom of the barrel came out until I humbled myself and acknowledged God, your Lord. Come in and save my soul. I knew that the one who was calling me to come wanted the whole lot. You see, when I was in the world, I didn't do things by half measures. Everything I did, I put 100% in. And so I figured that now I'm a Christian and now I'm a follower of Christ, that the same must be true there also. He wanted all of me and friends, he wants all of you. Every last bit. Full sovereign rights. To the governing engine of your life. In order that his kingdom might come. His will might be done. On earth. As it is in heaven. That he might be crowned the undisputed Lord of Lords. The unrivaled King of Kings. And if any man knew this truth it was a man called Saul of Tarsus. While he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord on his way to Damascus, as he journeyed near to that place, we read suddenly, and I thank God for his sudden interventions in the lives of men and women. And perhaps some of you are here this morning and suddenly God's going to break in. Suddenly. There shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth. And then he heard a voice. The voice said this, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And you remember the response of Saul. He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through to 5. Now some of you farmers know what a cattle goat is better than this city boy. When a stubborn cow decides to dig in its hills and it doesn't want to play ball, out comes the cattle prod. And all one needs to do is just gently place that and just walk so slow. And at that point, the cow has a decision to make. It's either going to be stubborn and dig in its heels, but it's only going to lose. And so it's in his best interest to cooperate and to go along with the master's wishes. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The Lord said to Saul, this is a perfect picture of a life that is unyielded to God. I want to say this morning, Saul, you'll never win. It's best you yield now. Better to lose the fight in order that you might gain. Better that you fall on that rock and be broken than that the rock should fall on you and you should be crushed to powder. Paul understood in that exact moment that he could not go on any longer as Saul of Tarsus. And there and then he bowed out. And another came in in power to take over. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Acts 9.6 And I want to ask you in humility this morning... Have you ever been brought to a place of full and absolute surrender? Such that trembling and astonished you can say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Your plans, your ambitions tossed to the side in order that his will might be done. The great delusion of the religious in this day is that they fancy that they can keep their will intact and still have Christ. That they can say, my will be done, whilst at the same time saying, thy will be done. And I want to submit that there's a contradiction here that has to be settled. I submit that where your will is outside of God's will, then one has to bend. One has to yield, one has to give way. And the cry of my heart is, Lord, where I'm out of your will, bring me in line with it. Thy will be done. And the cry of this preacher's heart is to see a people invaded by God. That's what we mean when we speak of revival. A people saturated with God's. Where it's no more religion and games and politics. But the king comes in power to take up governance on the seat of our hearts. To rule and to reign. His people are willing in the day of his power. That's the cry of my heart. There's a beautiful parable in the kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13. And the parable here in verse 33 He speaks this parable to them that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. And it's a beautiful picture of the transformating work of Christ. Like that of the mustard seed, it comes in, the spirit of God comes in, and the life is changed from the inside out. Has that happened in your life? You answer the Lord. Are you playing games with God or is this for real? Does this involve all of you? That the greatest longing and joy of your heart is to walk with God? Not on a Sunday morning, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. That I'm caught up. With the Lord. He is my all in all. He is the love of my life. He is the heartbeat of my soul. He's the reason that I live and breathe. Oh, how I love him. Can you say that this morning? That it's not cumbersome that his will might be done. It's my joy and privilege to lay aside my rights in order that his rights might be furthered. One of the great wonders. Of a branch of theology that we call Christology, the study of Christ, it is that of his incarnation. His incarnation. In the beginning was the Word in John's Gospel, chapter 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John chapter 1 and verses 1 through to 3. And then we come to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and true this precious doctrine that god became a man now the doctrine of incarnation forbids us to say that at any point jesus ceased to be god no in becoming man at never did he cease to be god and yet without contradiction The doctrine of the incarnation maintains that Jesus Christ, whilst being fully God, was at the same time also fully man. It's hard for us to understand this, but that's what the doctrine of the incarnation teaches, it's what the Bible teaches. It isn't that he had deity subtracted from him, as it's been said, but rather that he had humanity or deity clothed upon with humanity. Deity was clothed in human flesh. Now, why am I mentioning this? Well, this has practical implications. Functionally, it means a number of things. For time's sake, this morning, I just want to focus on one that is relevant to the subject matter this morning, the man with one will. We're told that by our Lord, God of very gods, creator of the heavens and the earth, by him taking on humanity, we are told that a number of things, became a reality the one that i want to mention to you this morning is this one that our lord as a man learned obedience he learned obedience by experiencing what he had never previously experienced prior to the incarnation and philippians chapter 2 where we began this morning It spells this out so uh, so wonderfully that is that the son became subject to the father that the very life and purpose of his mission was not my will be done but thine will be done he laid aside his rights and his privileges he laid aside As it were, the glory that he had with the Father, and he stepped down into time and space and was subject to like passions as we are. That's one of the reasons why he's our high priest, because he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He understands what it's like to walk through this world in a human vessel without sin, yes, but fraught with with infirmities and weaknesses. That previously, before the incarnation, would have been a foreign concept to God. He tasted death for every one of us. And so here in Philippians chapter 2, we are told to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You can't rob from someone something that belongs to you. Deity was his, and so it was not, um, it was not seen as robbery to claim deity. Our Lord Jesus Christ was God's. But we are told that in verse 7, he made himself voluntarily of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant. I want to submit that before the incarnation, our Lord was not a servant. The triune Godhead existed from all eternity. And at a point in time, the word became flesh and came down to earth as a servant. He was made in the likeness of man. And verse 8 tells us, that being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. God humbling himself. Does God humble himself in the incarnation? Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient. Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Being found in fashion as a man, he became obedient. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now the book of Hebrews agrees with this. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, we're told, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. By the things which he suffered. Now sometimes we can have this strange concept that because Jesus was God. It was almost like robotic for him to go to the cross. It was almost like well it's God isn't it. So um, he, he can hang on a cross and die. But no he was fully man with emotions and feelings and pain. Sorrow and anguish of hearts. And as a man, he learnt obedience, we're told, through the things which he suffered. Suffering was real to our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was a son, yet he learnt obedience by the things which he suffered. This is no minor point of significance. His very exaltation his ascension back into heaven where he received again the glory to himself that he had previously rested upon his obedience even unto death wherefore god also hath highly exalted him in verse 9 philippians chapter 2 and given him a name which is above every name That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That great high priestly prayer of John 17 and verse 4 and 5. Our Lord said I've glorified thee Father on earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Wherefore, Hebrews 10 verses 5 through to 7. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. In the incarnation, our Lord assumes to himself human flesh and he comes with a divine mission, obedient not to his own will but to the Father's and everything he said and did, his whole life was governed as he laid aside his rights to rule and he submitted himself entirely unto the Father. And we know that the great and penultimate sacrifice was that of his own life. (laughs) Nowhere is his obedience seen more clearly and graphically than on that mount of Calvary. And you see the wrestling and the anguish of his soul on the eve of that crucifixion. In a garden called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. And his soul was pressed out of measure as he remonstrated and wrestled with his heavenly Father. If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine. There in the garden, Luke records for us that there appeared an angel unto him from heaven strengthening him. He took with him Peter, James, and John, tarry with me for an hour. And they fell asleep in the hour of his greatest trial. If you look in Matthew chapter 26, we'll close here. And verse 36. I recognize that I so poorly I'm able to communicate this to you this morning, but I encourage you to read and to ponder these verses, to understand that our Lord was a man like in like passions as you and I, who yielded his will entirely to his father, that he might live not for himself, but for the one who sent him, leaving us an example that we might do also. Matthew chapter 26, and verse 36, just while you're finding that, John five thirty, Jesus said, I can of mine own self do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will but the will of the Father which hath sent me. In verse 36 of Matthew 26, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go, and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. Now I want to submit that that's a true statement. That's not some mechanical rhetoric. That's not just like him saying it because it would be something nice to say and spiritual to say. No, he meant every word. His soul there in the garden was exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. And he said to Peter, to James, to John, tarry, tarry ye here and just keep awake. In this moment of sorrow, we sing the hymn, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a saviour, man of sorrows. He was exceeding sorrowful even unto death. He went a little further and fell on his face, pressed out of measure. Some of you have been in the lowest depths in life and you can identify in some measure to this, where you've no strength left but to fall before God's. And he prayed and he said, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt." And he cometh unto the disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, What could ye not watch? Could you not keep awake with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. I want to submit as I close this morning that the concept of the two-willed Christian. And what I really mean by that is that I have my life, and yes, I'm also a Christian, and, and I do the things, go to church and pray, etc. But it's this thinking that being a Christian, it, it involves almost that I can have two wills synonymously, that I get to do what I want, and then when I've finished doing what I want, then I'll come and ask God, "Well, what now do you want?" But I'm submitting this morning that the soul of the Christian ought to be bound up with the will of God. That the two ought to be one. That his will, Lord, is my will and my will becomes his. And for some you might say that's extreme. But I want to submit this morning it's the only Christianity this book puts to us. It's the only thing that works. It's the only thing that works. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. If this was the way the master went, I ask this morning, is there an easier path for you or I? The cross he bore is the same cross that he asks us to bear and to take up in following him. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That we might sing this morning and we'll sing it in a moment, that wonderful hymn as I've already quoted by Fanny Crosby, I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and to be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died, Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding sides. I'm wondering this morning, is there one that is unyielded to God? And you say this morning, preacher, you're speaking to me. As I look back down the corridors of life, I have to confess I've made shipwreck of my life. My marriage, my family, my work, it's going up in smoke. And this morning I've been brought to the conviction that my will does not pay. That there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end leads to death, to ruin, to destroy. The Lord this morning would say, come, come. All ye that are weary and heavy laden, come. And Jesus said, I will give you rest. You see, our Lord isn't a tyrannical boss. He doesn't want to come into your life to wreck it. He came in order that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But the transaction that only works in this regard is when we empty our bank account of all that we have. And we say, Lord, fill it up with yours. Your will be done. And for those who have yet to know the Lord, can I only encourage you. You come through to God's. Not in churchianity, you know, a meeting on a Sunday and a meeting midweek. And then for the rest of the week, really, you live with your own ambitions and desires. I mean, you go through with God. Be broken on that rock and allow him to, to restore and to give you the life that he promised. You'll never fail. He'll never fail. 23 years I've walked with the Lord and by his grace I hope to walk another 23 if he tarries. And spares my life. And I do not regret a single day. I swam in the world's boat for 20 years and made shipwreck. Ah, the joys of walking with the Lord in a life consumed with him. Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for the word that you have graciously enabled me to preach this morning. Lord, I do believe that you are speaking and ministering to some soul this morning. And oh God, I would ask that you would break in. Consume them, Lord. Fill them, Lord. From the crown of their head to the sole of their feet. Let them know the all-compassing fullness of life. That you promised to take ruined sinners and to make them new creatures in your son. I pray this morning that they might know this in truth and in power, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.